This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and 89 Impact FM. My name's Andrew Graham. I'm a reporter with East Lansing Info and I'm joined today with Alice Drager, Eli's founder and executive director, aka my boss. Alice, how are you doing? Good. I'm always happy to be with you, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining. So today we're going to get into the East Lansing City Council election. There are seven candidates running for a total of three seats. There's technically two elections, though. So there's five candidates running for a pair of open four-year terms. And then in a separate race, there's two candidates running for an open two-year term. The four-year candidates are Adam DeLay, George Brookover, Chuck Grigsby, Dana Watson, and Dan Bowman. And the two-year candidates are Ron Bacon and Mike Emanuel. So that's sort of the the gist of it. Election Day is November 2nd, coming up very shortly. And this is the only matter on the ballot for East Lansing voters. So before we get into the upcoming election or the current election, we wanted to throw it back to 2015, which was a very different election from this one in terms of this year has been quite tame and pretty under the radar, I guess, as elections ago. 2015 was not as so. I was a senior in high school then, but Alice was reporting. So, Alice, can you give me the uh, the crash course on what yeah. happened in the 2015 election in East yeah, Lansing? Yeah, it was, it was a wild and crazy election. And honestly, I think it took a year off my life in terms of the daily the daily dramas but one of the things that was going on was that eric altman was running for the first time and the lansing chamber of commerce came after him with these willie horton style ads with bloody red pictures of the old taco bell saying he would be responsible for you know ongoing blight in the city it got very very intense so Mayor Nathan Triplett was running for a re-election, and he and then council member Ruth Byer were having a very public fight, including in the pages of Eli, over the question of whether or not the city of East Lansing was in financial dire straits. Triplett was basically saying that because the balance, the budgets were balanced in the city of East Lansing, that the city was in good shape. But Byer was saying that because we had this giant pension debt that kept growing and it was unfunded to a large extent, which today is $100 million unfunded, that in fact the city was in trouble and needed a serious turnaround in terms of dealing with the pensions. And so this became a very public sort of knockdown, drag out fight. And as part of that, there was this reform slate that was running and talking about the debt and talking about development and stuff. And that included Eric Al who was a newcomer. It also included Mark Meadows, who had previously been mayor, and it included Steve Ross. And we ended up with a Friday afternoon before the election, an election surprise. What happened was, uh, as the Chamber of Commerce was attacking Altman, Altman sent out a letter on his campaign. And he said, you know, he's pissed off big people and you should vote for him. And in the midst of that, he also mentioned the campaigns of um, Meadows and Ross, who he was supporting. And that apparently violates a technicality in the Michigan election law with regard to how money is being spent on campaigning. And so on the Friday before the election, somebody using the pseudonym Steve Meadows, which we assume was chosen as a combo of Steve Ross and Mark Meadows' name, 
filed a complaint with Barb Byram, who was the county clerk, saying that Altman had violated election finance law. Now, Byram was fairly openly supporting Triplett, who was in opposition to Altman. And like 30 seconds later, the Lansing State Journal had a story up with a headline about how Altman had violated election campaign law and it had also implicated Meadows and Ross, et cetera, et cetera. And so this was um, something that could have certainly damaged Altman, in part because these were the days where people were not voting absentee very much. We could not just walk in and vote absentee. So there was this big to-do. And after that, I, functioning as East Lansing Info, tried for many months to find out who Steve Meadows was and how did the Lansing State Journal find out so quickly from Barb Byram about this campaign finance thing? How did they get an article up so fast? Um, I never did find out. I ended up with an appeal on my Freedom of Information Act request in front of the County Board of Commissioners. It was a very elaborate scene. <laughs> but I didn't actually get anywhere on that question. But it was a wild election in a lot of ways, like nothing we'd ever seen. And it was interesting to me because it was the first year Eli was really reporting in a city council election. And so it seemed to suggest that when you start bringing people real news, elections get a little bit more exciting. That said, this year feels pretty tame by comparison. The pandemic has made everything different in yes. ways that we just can't quite entirely expect. And speaking of the pandemic and issues, what are some big issues that will be facing the new set of city council members in 2022 and 2021 and beyond? Well, I really think the pensions are going to keep being an issue, especially for this next council. I just reported for Eli a couple weeks ago that the city's unfunded pension debt has actually continued to balloon in spite of the income tax, and it has now reached $100 million in terms of the unfunded portion of that debt. In terms of the actual entire debt, it's over $200 million. And so I think that is absolutely going to be one of the issues. But what do you think, Andrew? What do you see as one of the issues coming up for the new council? Well, so the city attorney issue is one that has been sort of openly named as being curb your enthusiasm foisted onto the new council. But it makes sense in the regard of they're letting the current council has sort of deferred the decision of hiring the city attorney to the people who will actually mostly be working with that city attorney, which does make sense. It does put the city in a tough position now where they're probably paying an excess of money to have Foster Swift continue representing them beyond the initial term of their contract. But that's going to be an issue because again, for the first time and or for, again in about what, 18 months or so, they're going to be changing city attorneys after the city had been with Yaden and the McGinty firm for so very long. So that's going to be definitely an interesting one and one that the new city council will, I think be likely to address very early on in their terms yeah, and I think housing, too, is going to be one of the big issues because we've got the housing study and the follow-up to that. We've got interest in doing form-based zoning. So one of the big issues we've seen certainly among voters is the question of protection of the overlay districts or giving those up in terms of rental restrictions. Um, we've seen a lot of people saying there's too much student housing being built. On the other hand, renters are finding that rent is renting a place is getting easier, and in some cases, it, the rent prices may be dropping some for rentals because there is a glut 
what of housing um, occurring. But then there's also this question of what to do with regard to zoning of downtown and in terms of housing. So that space between the big downtown area and the space with the owner occupied older houses. Some people are interested in creating a kind of zone that would see redevelopment that would look like small townhouses and small apartment buildings. So there's sort of a buffer zone of housing. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And Andrew, what do you think in terms of any others that you would name as big issues coming for this council? Oh, definitely flooding, which has become near and dear to my heart, but not not flooding as such, but water infrastructure and sewer infrastructure and how the city is addressing that and what can be done to address it. Because I think as long as people around the city are going to be having potential flooding in their yards or especially into their basements, that's something they're going to come put in their government's ear, as frankly they should. So I just don't think that's one that's going away anytime soon. We know for a fact there's going to be a presentation about the sewer infrastructure given to city council on November 16th, which will be the new council at that point. So it's going to be an ongoing issue, at least through probably the end of this year and i would imagine come spring when everything thaws out and all that snow melts it might be an issue then still if it's some major ground hasn't been covered in the time then so i just i have a hard time imagining that's going away in the coming months and years frankly unless something we have not anticipated changing changes in a major major way speaking of changing and major ways or not changing there's been a lot of change in the city since the last city council election in 2019. So I mentioned the pandemic earlier. That's obviously one big one, but there's been three resignations from council for various reasons, meaning we've also had three different mayors, eight different people have served on council and more and more. Um, Alice, I guess, what about the city and what, what sort of landscape has changed? What's different since the last time there's been a city council election? Yeah, so, you know, for this most current edition of the Eli paper edition, the Eli newspaper, we had our designer, Kay Palmeter, actually do a graphic showing the changes in city council and the city attorney position. You're right, there's been a huge amount of turnover, um, and the pandemic obviously has been a backdrop of that. But in addition to that, we've really seen a lot more attention on policing issues, policing reform, changes in terms of how we think about what the role of the police is, establishment of an oversight commission. So a lot of that has changed. Um, I don't know. What else would you say, Andrew, has changed in terms of since 2019? And we should mention 2019 was the year that uh, there were two seats open and Ruth Byer and Aaron Stevens were um, elected. Both of them ultimately became mayor. Both of them ultimately resigned their seats. For very different reasons. (laughs) Yes. Only one of them Um, denounced Eli on the way out. That was Ruth Byer. Well, denounced you, but that's neither here nor there. I, yeah, and I think that ties into there's a sort of tacit background issue in this whole election of I think the voters and people in East Lansing, at least the ones I have spoken to and I know, is I think everyone very much would not be happy and does not would not tolerate somebody leaving in the middle of their term after the sort of last couple months years and the the turmoil and it's just it's not that it's bad that some new faces have come in and you get different voices but there's just a general you lose experience you lose institutional knowledge you lose absolutely whatever expertise and frankly you have to two and now three people on council who weren't elected by the voters. So it just, it's almost like you sort of have to like take that governance with a grain of salt in a way. And that's not the right way to phrase it, but it's, I think it's just, it's important to 
the voters that this be a council of people they elected that that holds up for better yes. or worse. Yes, um, I think people are fatigued. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Um, Chaos and I think, is actually the word people keep using <laughs> well, when they write to me as Eli's publisher. Yes. They keep referring to this. I'm, I, it's been very interesting. To me. They independently use the same phrase, which is chaos in City Hall. That's not my phrase. That's the phrase our readers are using as they write in and feel like there's just been too much changeover. Well, right. And I get the sense the the day to day functions of City Hall and like city staff and city government is not. I, I think the chaos there would probably be pandemic related. But yeah, from the elected side, it has been. A roller coaster basically since i've started reporting full-time but you're right we've seen turnovers in directorships too we've got oh, yeah. the director of public works away for military deployments we've got a new person running Depo- department of public works we've new head of parks and rec we have a new head of the fire department i mean it new head of the police department uh, actually when i think about it a huge number of department heads have turned okay. over since 2019 so we also did a little reporting on campaign finance um well, not we, but we being Eli, it was Eli's Chris Root. And it was a pretty interesting story. You can check it out at eastlansinginfo.news. We have a lot of um, campaign reporting and want to point out, because Alice would be in upset if i didn't that it's all nonpartisan. so we're not gonna it's not endorsing this candidate or vote for this one but just trying to give voters as much good information as they can possibly need to make the decisions that they're going to make sort of phrased it we'll tell you what the people are doing but we don't want to tell you what to do so you can go to eastlansinginfo.news find our election guide find a lot of useful info in this story, I think the big takeaways for me, Alice, you might have had other ones, is that in the four-year race, George Brookover has a very sizable fundraising lead. Um, he's got about $24,000 versus the nearest next candidate in terms of contributions. And the nearest candidate was Delay with about 8500 Similar story in the two-year race with Ron Bacon with about $21,000 in contributions versus Mikey Manuel's about $1,700. So that starts to make more sense a little bit when you look at some more reporting that Chris did that Bacon got about $9,000 from five different PACs. Um, She lists them all. There are some unions, the Greater Lansing Association of Realtors, Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce. So nothing too surprising or frankly, in my opinion, super interesting there. Um, But it's just a lot of good reporting from Chris on some campaign finance stuff. It's got good charts, which I always love. But I think my big takeaway there is that Brookover in the four-year race and Bacon in the two-year race have way outstripped the fields in terms of funds raised. I don't know. Yeah, Did you have any should, other big takeaways? We should mention that part of their money is coming from themselves as loans to yes. campaigns. But yes. even with that, they've raised a lot of money. And one of the things gotcha. I found really interesting was that Chris broke down where the money was coming from. And you can really see the difference in terms of who's getting money from people who live here versus people out of town. And DeLay really stood out as somebody who was mostly being funded by people who don't live in East Lansing, which I found quite interesting. And what we see with Manuel, for example, is he's not raised money from anybody else. He's not been out there asking people for checks. So he's basically funding his own campaign on very little money. So it was right. definitely an interesting article. Check it out at eSensingInfo.news. As Andrew said, click on the elections tab at the top and you'll see all of our election reporting that's nonpartisan. And I just want to remind folks that you can register and vote on the same day now in this in Michigan. So this is very cool. If you're not currently registered but you want to vote in this election, it's super easy. Go down to City Hall or you can go to the satellite office at Brody Hall. You can actually register and vote at the same time, essentially. That's because in Michigan, you can now vote absentee with no reason. So you can vote at any time at this point 
all the way through actually election day. Yeah, I was driving down uh, Michigan Avenue to Grand River the other day, and I noticed there was a big um, sort of like banner sign on the the median in between where Grand River's split. And it was some, I can't remember what it said, but it was from the city clerk advertising, like, you can vote absentee now and come get your ballot and all that. So I thought that was a nice little reminder that you can vote if you listen to this on Saturday, Sunday, whenever you can go vote next day on Monday or go and grab your ballot and does, vote before election day. Yeah. The clerk does have extended hours this weekend. So you can check that out either at the city clerk's website, or you can go to eastlansinginfo.news and click on yeah. our election guide. And we've got the hours that are the extended hours for the city clerk this weekend. Yeah. I gotta say, I was poking around the city site. The list of polling locations, very helpful too. Um, so they've got some good info that's pretty accessible. So check that out. Check Eli out. So, we also talked about Chris's reporting. I did a little reporting on a poll we we have. This came right after the candidate forum about two weeks ago. And I think the the overarching point I, I'll make before getting into it is a poll is very much it's a snapshot in time. You're sort of it's what that person tells you the moment they're answering that question. So it doesn't mean definitively anything other than this is what these people said when we asked them this. So with that in mind, it showed a clearer picture of what kind of seemed maybe apparent. And it showed Brookover is likely to win a two-year, or a four-year seat, excuse me. And one of Bowman, Watson, or Grigsby is likely to join him. And in the two-year race, Bacon is comfortably ahead of Manuel. So I spoke to Mark Grebner of Practical Political Consulting, who did this poll um, for Eli. Thank them for doing that, of course. And he was gracious enough to give me some time and just dive into the, the details and the context a little bit about it. And that was sort of his takeaway that it's not, you know, it's not telling you, Brookover's got it. It's saying... It's looking pretty good for Brookover. Grebner phrased it as he'd be pretty surprised if Brookover didn't win one of the two four-year seats. He wasn't really confident in making a proclamation of who would win the other one, just that Daniel, Daniel Bowman maybe had a slight lead, but it could be statistical noise. So that's the four-year race, roughly. And then at the two-year race, Bacon, the incumbent, is just far outstripping Manuel the relative unknown which isn't wholly surprising and i don't know that there's a whole lot to dive into on that one frankly so andrew let me ask you this does a person's vote matter in east lansing a person's vote very much matters in east lansing the 2019 election very much informs us that it does What happened there is that Altman and Meadows were separated officially by only two votes. If Altman had, in fact, asked for a recount, it's entirely possible that the recount would have found that Altman won and he would have been seated instead of Meadows. But Altman did not ask for a recount for reasons he did not explain. And so Meadows was seated. We found out from Grebner something fascinating that had never occurred to me. Through the Freedom of Information Act, we can actually see the ballots. So we don't have your name on it. We can't see who voted which way, but we can actually see the ballots. So we got copies of the ballots from Grebner, and we did an analysis. And what that analysis showed was that pretty much steadily about one in a hundred votes could have been counted one way or another, either by the machine or by humans. 
So there's a margin of error necessarily built in because some people don't fill out their ballots correctly. And as a consequence, your vote absolutely matters in the city of East Lansing. Elections sometimes are decided by just a few votes. And so it really does matter if you vote. We're planning to do that again, to get a hold of the ballots after the election so that we can do more analysis. We're interested in questions like how many voters chose to use all three of their votes and how many voters, if they chose person A, also chose person B. Those kinds of things are really fascinating to see in terms of how the votership is thinking about who is running for stuff. Well, and I think we should also add that given the nature of this election being city only, turnout is likely not going to be record highs or anything like that. I'm not going to make a definitive prediction, but it tends to be the case that the sort of the more localized the election, the the smaller the turnout tends to be. Um, I, yes, and remember, don't. it's in an off year, right? So it's not yeah. a year of national stuff. And as a consequence, no congressional elections or anything like that. Right. Yeah. So the people voting are very intentionally going to vote on the council. As Andrew explained at the beginning of our show today, there is only this on the ballot. So both of these races for the four year race and the two year race will be on the ballot, but that's it. That's the only thing on your ballot in East Lansing. So it's kind, if of, you're it's kind voting, of weird you're how it's been so subdued. It's like if this is the only thing and it still has just kind of flown under the radar. So we have a little bit in here that speaking of votes mattering and the fact that Altman realistically could have been seated on council had he requested a recount. We just don't know. But it's kind of a fun little exercise for us to just think about what what it could have been like if Mark Meadows hadn't been seated to council if he hadn't won the 2019 election. So I have some thoughts, Alice, I'm curious what your thoughts are sort of what you your imagination imagines. It's, it's really interesting <laughs> to play it out, right? So it's really hard to know where things would have gone. Like, so when Ruth quit, when Ruth Byer quit, she, I don't think, thought Mark Meadows was going to immediately quit in the minute after that. So one interesting question is if would Altman have been mayor pro tem? We don't know. Probably not based on the way the slate worked out where Stevens ended up as mayor pro tem. Um, what would have been the issues pushed? How would the group have operated differently? It's really hard to know. I mean, one of the things that made Meadows a little bit different from other people on council and makes also Lisa Babcock different is that they're lawyers. And as a consequence, right. they have a legal um, perspective and a legal knowledge that they bring to city council for better and for worse that makes it very different. So if if Altman had been elected, it would have been interesting because Babcock would have been the only lawyer on council at that time instead of having Meadows with. I don't know, Andrew, what do you think? What, what might have happened? Well, you can also play out if so... If Altman's on council and not Meadows, and then Bayer resigns, but Altman stays, and then Stevens becomes mayor because he was pro tem, does Jesse Gregg become mayor pro tem still in that moment, and then become mayor when, or could we have Mayor Lisa <laughs> Babcock or Eric Altman? Right, like I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. If it would be different, it would be different, as my dad always says. So, like, I don't, I don't think I can say one way or another, but it, I can theoretically think it would be different, and I also wonder that. I think I'm, I'd be safe in assuming that Altman wouldn't have bailed at the same moment that Bayer did. So that means there would have been one person to be appointed. And I don't. if there was only one seat open, I don't know if that would have changed the pool who applied. So it's just, I don't know. Like it's, it's hard to say, well, I think this would have led to this, would have led to this. But I think there are sort of some distinct, it leads me to some distinct questions and inflection points 
Yes. And it tells you how much one person does matter on city council. So it's a council of five, but that fifth person, whoever they are, does have an effect. You know, Shanna Draheim as the third recent appointee, because we now have a majority appointee council, she's made a difference in terms of certain issues, uh, the direction they go in. For example, most recently on the question of the Oversight Commission, she pushed things in a particular direction. So I think it absolutely matters who that fifth person is on council. And again, your vote does matter if you want to say in this election get registered if you're not registered and go ahead and vote because these are small elections and the votes absolutely matter it's not a very big town it's not a very big council it's not a very big electorate so um get out there and vote if you care about it well you want to talk about a vote that will affect a unit of government that will really you know impact your life potentially on a day-to-day basis this is it so we have a, a sort of we try to get to a weird transparency thing today. Um, we kind of have our weird thing of the week. We're also kind of, I think I'm going to be moving over to a more of a kind of transparency segment, but they kind of beautifully dovetailed today. Um, so we have a weird transparency thing of the week brought to you by Alice, courtesy of our uh, data analyst. So Alice, can you share a little more for me? Yeah. So one of the things Andrew and I were talking about earlier was that we um, recall that uh, Babcock and Greg both ran on heavy transparency campaigns. And um, <laughs> that, I mean, I'll let Andrew speak to this, but we, we both really don't feel like this has been an improvement in terms of transparency in the last year, certainly, with a new city attorney and a relatively green council and a very seasoned city manager. What we've seen is actually a locking down on our um, request to the under the Freedom of Information Act and other issues. So it's been rather frustrating. And this week, our data analyst Nathan Andrus got back a response, a rejection essentially to a request he put in for reasons I won't bother to get into right now. He wanted to see a couple days out of the city manager's calendar to see what it, what the city manager had been doing on a few days. And he was rejected with the claim that this basically is not a public document, which I found remarkable because a few years ago, I was at a news conference where there was a wonderful evangelist for Freedom of Information Act stuff. And he was telling us, boy, all the time. And one of the things he said was, I'm going to give you lists of things you should always be foying. One of the things he named was, go ahead and FOIA the calendars of city leaders. So at the time, Meadows and Altman were mayor, mayor pro tem. Lahanas was city manager. So I FOIA'd their calendars and I got back Lahanas's full year calendar. It had some redactions for personal stuff like medical appointments, which is totally appropriate. But in terms of his public work, I could see everything on his calendar. So the idea that two years ago, this was a public document or three, I think it was two years ago, but somehow today this no longer counts as a public document is just absurd. I mean, the city of East Lansing is making two completely different arguments over the course of a short space of time which means we should win on appeal. We have to appeal this to the mayor, who is currently Jesse Gregg, so we've appealed that. But it's it's rather frustrating. I don't know, Andrew, what do you think about the current situation with transparency? I'm about to cough, but I'm trying to hold it in. So <laughs> You don't have COVID, do you? No, I just have a – it's dry. So I think the – you're kind of hit it on the nose. It was just a green council and just kind of – it's that, you know, Mark Meadows, when he was mayor, when he was – on city council, he knew as much, if not more, about how the city of East Lansing functioned and the history of it than George Lahanis. And he knew FOIA law. And he knew FOIA law. And so you take him out of the equation. This is not to say this is like a Mark Meadows would have solved this problem or it'd be miraculously better if he were on council, but he sort of had a, it was sort of a clearer, more consistent 
I think consistency was the real difference is like now it's just kind of feels like it's, well, we don't want them to have this. So let's come up with a reason. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I can't, again, I can't speak to what's going on in city hall when those decisions are being made, but it, like, it's just. It's uh, absolutely it's, what it feels like. I mean, what Nathan's answer is give me my stuff. Dang it. <laughs> exactly. What Nathan said to me yesterday is, how have you been doing this for seven years and not be driven crazy by this? And I told him I have been driven crazy. No, and we, the, we are insane. The difference is that we have a whole crew of excellent new reporters over the last couple of years. Emily Joan Elliott came in as our managing editor. And so I have excellent company in the insane asylum where I scream every day, give me my public documents, damn it. Because you all are now screaming with me, give me my public documents. Chorus so. grows loud. Yes. Well, we are pretty much out of time here. So, Alice, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about city council elections, a little bit of East Lansing political history. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you. This is fun. So this has been the East Lansing Insider brought to you by East Lansing Info and 89FM. Thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.